Welcome back to week nine of Two Guys, One Emily. We're back after Thanksgiving break. Let's say hello to the two guys. What's up, Perkins? How are we? Beautiful Wednesday, cold still in Oxford, but it looks nice out. Even with that fire? Yeah, crazy fire uh, across the street from uh, Pixel right there next to UDF. Going on currently 3.27 p.m. on Wednesday. And that is your news update from Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Kevin? Nothing much. It's just about cold as the Dickens outside. Uh, not great. <laughs> All right. So this week we're going to talk about Miami sports, college football, the NHL, the M- NBA, the MLB, and whatever else we find just comes to mind. Sometimes things just amusing. come. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to be talking with Miami's athletic director, David Saylor. We'll have that interview for you a little later. But as always, let's start off with craziest sports. Kevin. I'm going to go with Jalen Ramsey of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just going after Josh Allen, talking so much trash, chirping him. Then they ended up losing. That like, Let's get that out of the way. But mid-game, he actually took his helmet off during a pause in the action, looked at the looked at the Bills sideline and just said, like, you suck, you suck, like, you're trash, and you're trash, like, their whole sideline. And he was all over Twitter talking about there was a picture of Josh Allen practicing, and he said, man, that looks like a pick waiting to happen. And then they got beat, so that was pretty funny. That's a bad look when you don't win. And you're trash talking. I didn't see the game. I don't know what Jalen's individual performance was like, but I'm I'm a little more lenient if he played well at least. You know, you can't control your whole team, of course. But I really yeah. thought your moment was going to be when who wasn't on the Browns handed Hugh Jackson the ball. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, he handed him the yeah. ball. Who was that? Jackson that. should probably get fired for that. The way he responded to that, in my opinion. Yeah, because he patted him on the helmet. I mean, I kind of get it, I guess. No, no, no. But that's the proper way to do it. He patted him on the helmet. What are you supposed to do? Like, start a dispute there with the team that's on the field? He just patted him on the helmet. It's one of his old players. He dropped the ball immediately. I I don't think he. Could Which player was it? It was some defensive back that no one's ever heard of. But wasn't I, it after an interception? Yeah, it was after Andy's only interception of the game. Um, and his first interception in 180 pass attempts, I think against the Browns yeah something stupid like that and I I think he handled it the right way he just patted him on the helmet it's one of his old players like they all football players get riled up they go after they're all in that mindset when they play so he just handled it I think I think he handled it in the right way I'm still not happy about him being in Cincinnati but I'm not mad at the way he handled it he dropped the ball immediately it it, it happens um so I'm, I'm gonna cheat I have two this week what uh the first one the World Chess Championships Jesus. has been going on. This is a sports podcast? Yes, and this is a sport. Whoa. We can Our have that debate again if you want. But um, So the chess championship, is it lasted three weeks. The two finalists, one was an American. Um, Let's go. Fabiano Caruana, I think I'm saying that correct. And they've been touting him as like America's like Bobby Fischer currently. They're like <laughs> trying to promote him like – he kind of has the best personality out of chess, from what I understand, in a long time. So he has, like, the only shot at sort of gaining that celebrity status from this uh, sport. But uh, so it lasted three weeks. The two finalists tied 12 games in a row. I didn't know you could tie in chess. 
Yeah, it's just stalemate. Like a draw? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's okay. exactly what it is, yeah. So 12 games in a row, though, they tied. So when's the 13th? So they played today. They've been playing. Um, they play like expedited matches with less time to make your moves, and they just keep dwindling the time all the way down. And then finally, uh, if it had gotten to that point, it's called Armageddon, where I, I think it's five minutes per player for the whole game is what you have. And then um, if it's a draw, the black team wins after Arm at the end of Armageddon. So. So they're they, still tied after. No, the no, 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 no. They've. It's over at this point. Who won? Uh, not the American, unfortunately. Uh, it was Norway's reigning champ, Magnus Carlsen. But. Oh my gosh! I just read an article the other day in the New York Times about how chess has literally overtaken Norway, and like a fourth of its television watching population will tune into these chess matches, and they broadcast every single like major game. So that's crazy. Yeah, not super surprised by that. I guess in that homogenous smart culture over there. But I thought that was interesting that they tied 12 times in a row. And then my second one is that the Buffalo Sabres just tied their franchise record. They've won 10 straight games. Um, I think they're third currently in the NHL standings uh, behind Nashville and Tampa with Toronto being the fourth. But Still crazy considering they had a relatively terrible start. And I think I heard the other day about how they're the first team that finished like dead last in the league last year to win 10 consecutive games in the following season. Wow. So. That is crazy. So their 10th win actually put them in first above Nashville, Tampa. So that's cool. That's insane. I know we talked about this between us and we had talked about how there's lots of, it seems like there's lots of records being broken in hockey and for a sport that's been played for what you said, like, what is it? A hundred and some odd years. That's pretty insane. 101 this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to talk about that a little later. Mine also pertains to hockey, though, and I don't know if you guys saw, but Bill Peters, who's the coach of the Calgary Flames, he used to be in Carolina, got hit with a puck mid-game, went off the ice, got stitches, got eight stitches, and after there was a press conference. Bit of a rough day for your face. Uh, shaving, shaving <laughs> Every day's Nick. a rough, rough day for my face. Every day, 365. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. A good way to handle... Getting hit in the face with a puck. Took it like a champ. Yeah. True hockey guy. Let's go. Do you want to talk about Miami hockey? I, I don't Perkins know Perkins is not excited to talk about yeah. it. The, okay, we should say the one thing, and we tweeted it from our podcast account, which is two guys, one Emily on Twitter, using numerical numbers, um, that Jordan Uhelski is in the running for the, is it the leagues? NCHC, yeah, so Best the conference. Movember mustache so should go throw him a like he's down he was down about 60 votes i think when i checked this morning at around 11 so still uh, still time okay so should go vote about that he played actually on saturday i heard in the 4-1 loss that a lot of the goals that happened were not his fault uh, a lot of the collapse was on the defensive side of the puck and just not being able to finish the game. I guess the summary of the weekend would be Miami Hockey tied Friday 3-3 with UNH, which is one of the worst teams in the league or in the nation. Let's not sugarcoat it. And then on Saturday, they lost 4-1. to They lost in similar fashions where on Friday they lost with 32 seconds left. Um, well, they didn't lose, but the game was tied 3-3 with 32 seconds left. And then on Saturday... Three goals were scored in 10 minutes to just, like, crush the hopes of the hockey team. Just a little embarrassing. New Hampshire 
was I believe they were one, six, and three going into this weekend, and now they're two, six, and four. So, like, just not a team that you can afford to lose to when you're trying to get into the NCAA tournament at the end of the year. Yeah, those are the ones you need, definitely. Um, those out of conference games, you, you, obviously, in the NCHC, every team in the conference is unreal. Um, not to say New Hampshire's a bad hockey team. But uh, definitely not the caliber of team that you'd expect Miami to lose to, especially not by three goals. And, yeah, just, like, those little things, just finishing the game. I was watching on Friday night, and, like, there's two minutes left. You know, you got to play, like, with that sense of urgency, and the back check was kind of weak, and they um, they gave up a bad goal with 30 seconds left. Um, also, shout-out to my old teammate, Richie Boyd, who plays for UNH. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, honestly, I don't love the decision to start Larkin on Friday. I agree. It seems like it seems like Rico had planned to play Uhelski for at least one of the games. I say give Larkin that rest, and then if it doesn't go well on Friday, you can respond by bringing back your starter. You know, get that team charge, and hopefully answer with a win. Instead, you play Larkin, you give up a goal late, and then you put in Uhelski and. Unfortunately, the story for him this year has just been opposite of Larkin's. Like it, Larkin shows up and plays pretty well, and then Yuhowski plays shows up and plays fine. He's not bad by any stretch, but he just can't close these games. That it seems like you know the Redhawks are obviously counting on him for a win or two here or there. But the crazy stat about him um, that I would like to point out is every game he's played in, his team has scored one goal. He's played in three games, and they've scored one goal. So he keeps losing games. Like, you got to kind of rely on your offense to get some going and respond to the goals that were scored, which were all scored in the ten- last 10 minutes. So, like, at that point, you're kind of sunk. But Yeah, tough road ahead for the boys. So they got St. Cloud this weekend, the number one team in both polls, far and above the best team in the nation right now. They're 11-1. and one. Um, They are coming here to Oxford, so that does help a little bit. Hopefully turnout's pretty good with the uh, week before exams coming up, you know, projects and such, but not as much homework generally. Um, and then they get a br- good break until December 30th. They play an exhibition, and then January 4th and 5th, they're going to Providence, a team that has given them trouble many a time in the past, um, definitely developing a bit of a rivalry out of conference there. Um, so we'll see what happens. Hoping for a greater podcast bump for Uhelski and the rest <laughs> of the Red Hawks because they uh, an interesting stat. I'll finish with this: is that this is this will be their best pre Christmas break start since the 2014-15 season. We haven't looked like this in a long time, which could go back to toughness of schedule and how they didn't play a lot of the higher caliber teams that they have in the past. But at the same time, it's nice to be riding the confidence and an over 500 record. It's so. important to note that the NCHC has elevated exponentially since their foundation in 2013 i think was the first season um you're correct yeah you know i remember when western michigan was one of the worst teams in the whole nation um you know and they were getting blanked week in week out giving up six and seven a game and now every team in the nchc is in contention for that top 20 ranking and you know almost like it really feels that way no i just counted and there's six right now four nchc teams in the top 20 for the uscho so that's half of our conference in the top 20 in the nation so yeah definitely a good point to bring up but i think we beat that horse yeah (laughs) off to some good miami news um bittersweet i guess miami volleyball finished as the mac runner up they lost in the championship uh game here at home but they have been invited to the national invitational tournament uh, I don't. It's not actually the National Invitational Tournament, but it's basically 
uh, women's volleyball's version of the NIT and Miami and beautiful Oxford, Ohio, Miami University has been fortunate enough to be a host of one of the eight starting regions. So those games actually started today, I believe, Wednesday, maybe even Tuesday. Tomorrow, or the game started in Oxford, they'll start tomorrow, but I believe you're right in saying that they started recently. Um, women's basketball also off to a great start better than men's uh 4-1 they lost to number five louisville louisville whatever louisville sure <laughs> they lost um it was pretty kevin and i were talking about this in class today the first quarter was pretty lopsided but then the second the third and the fourth they were only behind by like six points in they a quarter in the fourth quarter they yeah. just had a really bad first quarter probably a little starstruck but aside from that, it was a game if you take out that first quarter. And they were in Louisville as well, so yeah. that is not a fun place to play. Not at all. You know, even as women's basketball attendance goes in Louisville, it'll be it's solid. Yeah. Um, football, uh, beat oh, Ball State. Eligible. Yeah, we're going bowling. We're going bowling. Maybe. Uh, Have yeah, you guys seen that? We're there are more bowl-eligible teams this year than there are bowls to go to. Well, Toledo got one, so I'm damn sure Miami's going to get one. What was their record? Where did Toledo finish? Toledo was also 6-6, six and six, if I recall, and they got the Bahama Bowl against FIU. It's the only bowl that's already been announced. I don't understand why or how that works. My guess is those teams just need time to make those kind of travel arrangements, so they give them a little more heads up, uh, a little harder to get to Bahamas than it is Atlanta, Georgia. So they finished, actually, Toledo finished 7-5. and five. So, like, one, one better game, and I don't – I'm not going to make – the judgment because I don't know football that well, but I don't think they played as difficult of teams as Miami did out of conference. So hopefully the bowl committee will look favorably upon us. I know a lot of people uh, on Miami's side are freaking out a little bit because of that invitation to Toledo, but I believe the announcements are made on Saturday, Sunday Sunday. this week. So championships are played on Sunday. I mean Saturday. And I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know if we've had a situation like this recently where they've had too many bowl-eligible teams, but I know when there's not enough bowl-eligible teams, they go to uh, five and seven teams or five win teams, no matter their losses, with the highest GPAs. And I'd imagine that Miami probably fares pretty well against most schools when it comes to GPA. Um, So if they do start taking that into account, might uh, catch a break there. But, yeah, let's pray we get a bowl. That would be – that would be tough to battle at this school Ooh. like we have over the last few years. Uh, six and six, five and seven, and now six and six again this year to not get a bowl and not get that money. Yeah, we, we need, need that money. <laughs> I was also going to say it would also be sad to send out the senior class like this because I didn't really realize at the Ball State game, they're like, we're losing a lot of like big name oh, seniors. Yeah. Like, this might be the last year again that Miami football is good. Well, Maybe, maybe not. I think that our success over the last few years and what Chuck Martin's doing here with the program should lend itself better to recruiting than it has in the past. So I'm hoping that we can start to pull, you know, a few more of those three-star guys, maybe snag a four-star somewhere. Um, yeah, what do you guys think about a good incoming freshman class? What do you think about Chuck Martin's job security? Good. Not. I wouldn't be worried if I was the Martin family personally. Interesting. I know I a mean, lot of people you are replace talking about it. Treadwell. I'm a little on the other side of things. Really? Chuck was unhinged with the press this year. And so I kind of like it, though. I love it. But at the same time, I don't think he has the platform to be that unhinged. He's not 
Dabo Swinney or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, part of it is like sort of that just extreme factor, right, where you can just draw attention by being ridiculous in a way. Um, and like smaller schools can do that. You know, he's still trying to make a case of, you know, and now he's really trying to make a case that they deserve a bowl. You know, so if he can garner some attention nationally, no matter how it comes, that can be good. But at this school with the type of prestige that we like to portray, we're, I don't know. If, we are a strictly a student athlete school. We The money yeah. goes into the books, not the players. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what we're trying to do here. But I mean, I just think in terms of success, if you look at the attendance, albeit low compared to what it was four or five years ago yeah. when Treadwell went, what? One and twenty-three in his last two seasons, if I recall. Something oh, and twelve insane. and one and he eleven. Went I think. 12, yeah. Yeah. Um, and now Chuck Martin's looking at what? Just in the last They're three years, he's seventeen and what? He's like seventeen and odd. twenty, I think, something like that. Yeah, and in conference, he's like twenty some odd and like four, something ridiculous. Yeah. Like, so I think the success for now is going to continue to keep him here. Um, now, if he continues to go off the cuff with reporters and, you know, of course, you start to question those things. But I'd say, I mean, he just signed an extension, too. So I think for the next couple of years, he's probably solid. Maybe we'll ask him about it sometime. Yeah, so that actually makes a pretty good segue to our interview this week. We were fortunate enough to land the athletic director here at Miami, David Saylor. Um, great guy. And he actually gave us some very interesting breaking news. I think unprecedented uh, plan that Miami has. Um, so without further ado, we'll go ahead and turn it over to that interview. <laughs> annoying as horn. We are joined this week by Miami's athletic director, David Saylor. Saylor graduated from Ohio Wesleyan University with a bachelor's in accounting and from UConn with a master's degree. Saylor has spent time with various colleges and athletic departments all over the U.S., including Bowling Green, the University of Georgia, Rice University, and South Dakota State before coming to Oxford, arguably the best university he's worked at, Miami University. At Miami, he is most well known for his effort to graduate champions and the success of many sports teams that he has had and that Miami fans seem to forget about. So thanks <laughs> for joining us. No problem. Happy to be do happy to be here and do this. The only correction I'm going to make is I was at University of South Dakota. Okay. And if anyone back in South Dakota hears you say South Dakota State, oh they no. would they would have it out for me. This is that's a rivalry that actually had dead animals thrown on courts. Um, so it's very serious back there. All right, I will go on record. That is Emily Smanskis's fault. We were <laughs> Not we, we were the we were the coyotes and uh, they're the jackrabbits, and so there was always some interesting battles back and forth between the two schools. That's hilarious. Yeah. Perkins, you want to? Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, just start by sort of um, explaining maybe what your overall role is as an athletic director. I think a lot of people see you only as the boss of the head coaches, kind <laughs> of, and I, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I think the easiest way for me to explain how I feel my role is, is I tell my wife, is we have 542 other kids besides our two. I feel like I'm in charge of all those student athletes and trying to make sure their experience here is as good as it can be. Um, as positive as it can be, we're going to graduate them, you know, prepare them for life and hopefully win some championships along the way. Cause you know, let's be honest, everything's better when you're winning. Um, food tastes better. Your significant <laughs> other looks better. Everything feels better. And I think also you can draw confidence later in life when you've been part of something that's been a success. You know, you're going to, you're going to face challenges in your job and your family and your career, whatever. 
And if you can draw back to that time when you and you know 22 other of your teammates kind of bonded together and got through something, I think that proves very valuable. So that's really how I view my role. That involves overseeing coaches and staff and budgets and donors and alums and fans and town, you know, people in town and all those different relationships. It's a it's a pretty multifaceted job, but it's one I enjoy. We should mention that um, you are sitting next to is it the Mac Field Hockey? Yeah, the, the, yeah, it's not like the Stanley Cup where like you get it for so long. They, they, they just gave it to me last week, and I'm probably going to keep it for another week. But this is the one that, that is a little bit you know, larger scale. This is the one that we were the best athletic department in the MAC last year voted by other schools. And so it's really the award that's for the best athletic department. So I think I t we take a lot of pride in this as a staff and coaching staff. So those are the two trophies here today. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you go from accounting, and you spent time with EY, right? Yeah, I did in Cleveland. To getting into athletics, like what? Well, that's the tricky thing is I was at a small school, Ohio Wesley, and I wanted to work in sports but had no idea how to do it. Um, I was smart enough to realize my playing career wasn't going to get me there. And um, I thought I wanted to be a broadcaster. Then I thought about sports agent. And I majored in accounting because a teacher at Ohio Wesleyan told me I was good at it. And she said I should. So I did. And I still talked to Mrs. Harvey. And uh, she was a great mentor to me. And um, she said, if you do well in this, you'll have jobs waiting for you. And I knew that I wanted to work in sports. And sports is business. And business is sports. So I figured I could make a link at some point. I didn't know how or when. Um, but that's why I started in accounting and kind of got a good base of business because our budget is, you know, $34 million budget that we're, we're managing here. So uh, there is a lot of accounting stuff that kind of comes into it. For sure. Um, we talked about this a little beforehand, but I think the elephant in the room is definitely our football team going to a bowl. <laughs> and I remember talking with my friends about it yesterday and how this is like one of the rare instances where there's too many like bowl eligible teams and not enough bowls. So like, what does that process look like? Like who gets, like who gets to decide what teams go and what are the qualifications and like what boxes do we have to check and stuff like that? Yeah, it's kind of a mess and I wish I could <laughs> give you a better answer, but the short of it is there's 81 teams right now that have qualified to be eligible to play, and there's 78 slots. So there's three teams that will be on the out. Last year there were three teams on the out, and two were MAC teams. Buffalo and Western Michigan were the two MAC teams that stayed home at 6-6. Six and six. Um, Virginia Tech plays Saturday, and if they win, they get to 6. So then there would be 82 teams for 78 slots. And last week I was watching games and scores all over the place because we needed it. We were hoping for a bunch of teams that were at five wins to lose, and it's just kind of a really weird dynamic. And I've talked to probably 15 bowl people this week, different bowl games, and they all give you these answers, and they, it's kind of small talk, um, to be honest. I don't know how truthful everybody really is. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, um, a lot of political stuff. The Power Five schools are going to get picked before the others. That's just the human nature. So if Virginia Tech gets to six wins on Saturday, they're going to get picked over us. That's just the nature of, you know, where college football kind of sits today, right? My job is to put the best foot forward we can, explain to the Bull people why we should be a choice, right? Our six wins are all FBS wins. There is no FCS games. Every other team that has six wins has an FCS win. So I feel like our wins are better. You know, the teams we've played, the four non-conference games, all those teams are going to bowl games. No one else has that. So that makes us better. You know, we've been very competitive in all of our games. So all those things. And then just recently we launched, you know, our fans buying tickets. 
And the goal there is to show the bulls, look, if you choose us, we're coming in with tickets. These people bought and they didn't even know where we're going or when the game is and they committed to us. And so we're committing to you. And that's been, we've got over 1,300 tickets sold already in about a day and a half. And I know I have people lined up to buy more. So we're just trying to put our best foot forward in the hopes that on Sunday I'm going to get a positive phone call. And I just, you know, at the end of the day, a lot depends on the games Saturday, if you can believe it. I've been told we need Ohio State to win and convincingly enough that they pass Oklahoma without Oklahoma losing. So, like, that's a big that's going to have a factor on Miami. And so there's just lots of different things you hear and things that I'm told, and all I know is who I need to try to root for. So we, we need Virginia Tech to lose, and we need Ohio State to win, which is hard for me to say because I don't really love Ohio State, but hey. Um, and we need Oklahoma to win, but barely. And, <laughs> and so it's just kind of one of those things where we'll just wait and see. End of the day, what really bothers me is these kids deserve to play another game. Um, they have done what the NCAA says you need to do to meet the threshold to play a 13th game. And just because some arbitrary number is out there that says we can't, we're not allowed to, like I just have a hard time with that. So we're actually prepared, um, and this is breaking news for you guys, but we're actually prepared to file a waiver with the NCAA that if we are not chosen, we're going to go play a game anyway and see what they tell us. Let's go. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's so cool. That's where I'm at, and the conference is willing to support us in that. Um, It would be a game probably on Louisiana Monroe's campus, who's another six-win team that might get left out. So we would just go play them at their place and not call it a bowl game, just it's a game, and we can still practice and go play. And I think our kids want to do that. So we're trying to get our ducks in order to submit that waiver if, if we are not chosen. But we will see how things shake out have to design a trophy for that right <laughs> yeah yeah we come up with something i'll talk to chuck about that one <laughs> um but no we'll see and i don't know um you know whether the game would be telecast whatever but you know we do have a really good strong connection to the saints um coach payton was a ga here at miami the strength coach of the saints is a miami alum and so we would potentially be able to practice at the saints facility you know spend a couple of days in new orleans and then go play Louisiana Monroe. We would do this like right after graduation. Um, that way, none of the kids would be affected with finals or any of that stuff. Um, so, we'll see if the NCAA is going to approve it or not. Um, we're obviously not going to file it if we if we're chosen. But if we're not chosen, then definitely to sounds me, that's like a good option. alternative. Sure. Like it sounds like practicing at the Saints facility. That would be really cool. Well, you want to give the kids some benefit, even though you can't call it a bowl game. You still want to make it feel like it kind of is. And we have donors willing to support it, which is, you know, my job is to get that covered um, so the school doesn't have to spend any money. But I just feel like we owe it to these kids. It kind of goes back to your first question, what's my response? My responsibility is to these student athletes. And um, if they want to go and and there's an avenue for us to do it, then I got to chase doing it. It's no different than we're hosting the the NI volleyball tournament tonight and tomorrow here, a national invitation volleyball tournament. And there's a cost to that, but I told coach, I want to support your kids. And so we put in a bid to host, and that's what we're doing. And I don't view the football one as any different other than the fact that there's more kids and a little bit more money. Um, But if we can get donors involved, I don't see why. And John Harbaugh's offered to help already with whatever we need. So, like, I feel like we have people willing to help, and let's let's go. We owe it to these kids. That's awesome. You would think with 39 bowl games already or however many it is that they would be willing to have sort of these like maybe a contingency bowls two or three to add you know should there be 85 teams that have six wins why not add 
three more games over the course and of the season. And that's actually weeks. a good way to look at it and calling it a contingency bowl because, like, they're already adding a bowl game next year. The MAC just announced it. It's called the Myrtle Beach Bowl or something. And I've heard rumblings of another one, which if there were two more, that would satisfy this year's four teams that might be out. Um, last year there were three teams out. Two years ago we got to six and six, and we played a five and seven team, if you remember. So that year I could guarantee the football team we were going to a bowl game. The frustrating part this year is we beat Ball State on Tuesday night, and I had a bunch of texts from ADs across the country like, congrats, going bowling, and the team saying that. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. And, Not to kill the mood, but... Right, like I don't want to downplay it, but I can't promise anything. And I know from my parents prom- promising me things and not delivering how hard that is on a kid. And so I don't want to promise our kids that we can, we're going bowling when I don't know. I want to be honest. If there was contingency games in place, that would make things a lot easier. And that's, that's almost what I'm trying to create. It's just we're going to have to do it kind of swimming upstream mm-hmm. and, and fighting the NCAA a little bit. But I say let's go. Absolutely. Definitely a hard part about your job. Would you say, because we've seen a lot of, not a lot of turnover, but like especially with the basketball programs, I remember, I can't remember if we spoke about it and how it's hard to walk into a room of student athletes and tell them that like their routine is going to be thrown off, not their lives necessarily, but is that a hard, like what is the hardest part about your job? Well, there's no question that the hardest part of any leadership position is firing somebody. I mean, if you enjoy that part of your job, you, you have a screw loose because it's, it's not just the person you're talking to, but it affects the assistant coaches and their families and it affects the student athletes and, you know, the, the student trainers and everybody and managers. And, and so it is a gut-wrenching decision. And I think the hardest part about telling the student athletes is a lot of times they'll feel like it's their fault. And it's simply trying to say, hey, look, I'm looking at this from a much higher level about where the program is headed and the kinds of things that are happening. And that has nothing to do with you student athletes. That's just, you know, things that I'm seeing. And then when you're talking to the coach, you know, when you're saying you want to go a different direction, it, I always say it, it feels personal and they're going to take it personally, but it really isn't a personal thing. I like all the coaches that work here. I like what we do here. We have a great department and a great campus and a great university. We're all driven by the right missions. Sometimes when you have to make a change, it's kind of part of the business, and, and that's not easy to convey to somebody, and, and that's the challenging part. And I say the same thing to the kids about, look, these coaches, they sign up for this. They know it's part of the equation, and uh, it's, not, it's not good, but we're going to get some new energy in, and, and both basketball teams really responded to that last year in, in, a, in a really positive way, I thought. Speaking of basketball, I'm assuming you were in Cincinnati last night, right? I did, yeah, I was there. and It was tough to watch the second half, but yes, I was there. How hard is it? Because I know a lot of students and alumni are calling for those kind of rivalry games. And just when you don't have the same caliber of players necessarily as those, you know, Big East conferences or whatever, like, is that wearing on you to hear these people say this and then be like we're not ready and then you go to Xavier and then you have that kind of loss that is discouraging or well I think what bothers me more than anything about the local teams is that they won't come play us here at Miami and that's the part that drives me up a wall because I grew up I went to high school in Dayton and you know I I remember watching teams come play here in Oxford Xavier did Cincinnati did you know UD did and now those ADs won't they've told me flat out they will not play us home and home anymore So the fact that, you know, when we do play those schools, we have to go to their place and it's their referees, 
you just kind of know that going in and it's, it's tough. And I hate that for our kids. I'd rather have it be a neutral, like home and home rivalry. Um, and so I think when we've lost a little bit of that, that's hurt us. I do think that our kids are as talented as Xavier's kids. We just didn't play well. And there could be lots of reasons for that. Um, definitely frustrated with the result. I know our team is too. Coach Owens was on my couch this morning at 9 a.m. and we kind of recapped the game a little bit from last night and got his thoughts. But um, I expect I expect to be able to play with teams like that and break through. You know, we got to beat some of those teams. That's that's part of I think the overall student experience is I want them to feel like they can go into somebody's gym and beat them. And you know, the women's team went down to Louisville and played actually very well, considering Louisville's a Final Four team, you know, on Monday night. And I, I think our kids like playing those games, if you ask them. You know, they certainly wouldn't want to do it all the time, but the sense I get is that they do enjoy playing in those environments. And, yeah, I want to win some of them. I'm getting kind of an anxious to get that done. Um, so, I mean, it's no secret that in Miami's campus and culture, sports sometimes takes a role on the back burner for – uh, non-student athletes for the rest of the student population and attendance and just overall ambivalence apathy towards the sports how do you battle that as sort of the the figurehead for the department I think one of the things I talk about on campus the most and and I think when you actually put the numbers around it it makes people say oh yeah I guess that's true but you know Marshall um a couple years ago, we had 6,000 students at a football game. This year, Cincinnati last year, homecoming, we had about 7,000 students at the game. You name me one other thing on a college campus where there's 7,000 students in one place at one time, not even graduation, doesn't have that many. And so that's a pretty powerful message, right, that we had that many kids in one place at one time focused on one thing, supporting Miami. And that doesn't happen at any other time on the campus the entire year. And so I think athletics has the power to do that. Does it do it as, as often as we want it? Is it every Saturday we're doing that? The answer is no. Um, I know our marketing staff does a lot more trying to engage the students and get them to participate more. Um, but you look at hockey, there's, you know, roughly 1,000 to 1,200 students every weekend game other than, you know, when there's rush going on for fraternity, sorority, or whatever, that sometimes those affect our numbers. But um, the hockey crowd is always strong and vibrant and good. And, and just the, I don't know there's many other things on this campus I've seen that draw that many kids together at one place at one time for that long, and they have such a good time together. So my goal is to try to get the students to do that more often. Like, let's enjoy that. Basketball's tough because I do feel like we have students here, but they sit all different places. We, we haven't been able to, like, identify one spot for the students that they all want to sit and um, I want our student athletes to blend with them too, because they come to all. They, our student athletes support each other like crazy. That they don't always sit with the regular students, and I'm like, that's what we need. We need more engagement. Um, and part of it too, I think the students have to get to know our kids, because I think students are more likely to come cheer for kids they know, and want to support kids they know. And so I tell our student athletes, you know, when you go to dining halls, you got to sit with other people. You got to in class socialize with other people outside of class join some student groups. Um, so those are things we're trying to push to, to to make the attendance better. But there's no question um, I'd like to see more people in the stands, both student and non-student. It's, it's, it's a constant battle that a lot of schools in Division One are facing, frankly, right now. Well, I think winning is going to be helping a lot, too, especially <laughs> at, at football. I mean, it's been making great strides over the last few years, you know, two bowl eligible seasons in the last three years. So It does. I think 
um, the unfortunate side of, of what our winning has been is it's been at the end of the year. I'd like to see some winning at the beginning of the year because that generates a little more buzz and it generates people saying, I want to go to the next game. You know, and for, and the challenge has been that we've fallen into this hole. You know, two years ago we were 0-6 and, and then won six in a row. And I think we had good crowds with momentum the rest of that year, but you're still fighting the beginning, right? And this year we started out 0-3 and then had some really good wins and then some really competitive losses and then some really good wins to finish. I almost wish in a, from an attendance standpoint that that was kind of reversed because then we could draw more people early and get more people hooked on it. But there's no doubt winning, I don't care what you're doing, it's like everything else, if you're winning, that's definitely gonna help with the crowds. Um, I think hockey, you know, they've done well in the first half of the year, last couple of years, but then fallen off in the second half of the year. And our attendance has consequently dwindled the you know, second half of the year. So it is important to get out there and win. And like that Cincinnati football game last year, there was so much positive momentum around that game and, and had such a good crowd. And that would have been one where I think a win would have really helped us with bringing more people back. When you are at the games, are you because you're always around talking to different people? Are you just there interacting with people? Or are you secretly cheering? Have you ever gotten so wrapped up in it that you're yelling at the like the players, like obviously positively, but right, like, right. do you ever get so into it? Because obviously you wanted to go into sports, so you're a sports guy. Then like, it's a good question. Um, I'm I kind of have a, a variety of emotions that I go through watching games or being at games. I definitely have some people I need to make sure I talk with and spend time with, you know, whether that's an alum or the president or whoever might be at that particular game. If I see somebody, I'm probably going to socialize a little bit with them. But they're all there to watch the game too, right? It isn't, you know, just sit around and chat. Um, I definitely don't yell at our players a lot other than, you know, positive type things. I do sometimes get disappointed with the officials, um, but I try not to get too emotional about that because I think they're basically trying to do their job you know they're not really trying Basically. to have one team you know win or lose but they sometimes seem to have biases built in but I don't yell at them at all I, I really am more just observant um, of what's going on in the venue and on the field or court or ice and uh, I want to be able to talk to my coaches about the games or whatever so I do have to pay attention somewhat uh, I also am quick to tell the coaches look I'm not a coach so I'm not going to question your decisions. I just want to understand the dynamics of the going on with the team. So I do like to keep an eye on it, but I definitely root for the kids because I have such a vested interest and I know how much time we, and I just want it for them so bad. And that's really what I was actually um, with coach Harbaugh in Baltimore a few weeks ago. And what's one of the things we talked about is how as the leader, it's, it isn't about you. It's about everybody. And when you start to step back and you think about all the people affected, you just want it so bad for them. Right. And, when football was struggling when I first got here, I felt so bad for the equipment guys and the trainers and all the hours they put in after the games, you know, and to, to, to lose that year, 0-12, that was really hard for me to watch. So I, I just want it for everybody else, really, as much as I am a fan. We were talking before about favorite kids, but do you have a favorite sport that you like to watch? Maybe not particularly Miami or, like, do you go home – and watch, a, like, is there a sport that you like to turn on TV? I'm totally seasonal. So I'm a Cleveland sports fan, so I'm definitely Browns, Indians, Cavs. And hockey, I'm a Rangers fan. Um, but my son has become a big Bruins fan with Sean Corrali there. And uh, we just saw Sean over Thanksgiving, actually, in Boston. But um, I, I'll watch whatever's on TV. I, I like to see people compete. And it's no different. I remember going to the NCAA Golf Regional down in North Carolina that Miami made 
and I loved watching our kids play golf that day. That was awesome. You know, they were going up against Wake Forest, North Carolina, and it was just so cool to see the compete level of those kids. Our volleyball team is one of our toughest teams. I love watching them. They're never out of it. They battle till the end every single time. And so to me, it's that kind of stuff that interests me. Um, and when you get to know the kids, it just takes it to a different level. In a similar vein, we like to ask like coaches and athletes or whatever, do you go home and like want a break from sports, even though you do like watching these sports, or do you like eat, sleep, and breathe I it? I still watch it probably more than my wife would like me to. <laughs> um, I think the, the toughest part on going home for me is uh, I just don't want to make any decisions when I go home. <laughs> Like, I just want to go home. People are like, what do you want for dinner? You're like, I don't know. I just, I, I am not good at it. I just want to play with my kids, talk to my wife a little bit, and not make decisions about what are we doing for dinner or, you know, where are we going to go this weekend or what's going to happen with this or what do you think about Christmas presents for the kids? I just, I just don't <laughs> want to think about a lot of that when I go home. And that's tough on my wife. And so she's really an angel and uh, she puts up with a lot, and I appreciate that. I, I do try to include my family in as much as I can in what we do. What I tell anybody that wants to get into this profession is it's not a career, it's a lifestyle. And you just have to understand that it's a lifestyle. And that means your family, and it means missing holidays. It means, you know, not going out with your friends because you got to be at home events. And, and that's just how it is. I'm sure it's cool for your kids, though, like, because at the Ball State game, right, your son got to sit in on the press conference, and, like, that's always exciting. Do they get excited, or are they like, oh, I want to come to work, or are they more like, oh, not again? They don't really want to come to work very much, <laughs> um, but they do like coming to games, and they do like getting to know the players, and I can't think of a better place for my kids to grow up with positive role models than here, you know, um, my son, you know, he plays travel hockey with the Junior Red Hawks, and he, last year, I remember before the conference tournament, they were playing their league tournament, and Sean Corrales sent him a video wishing him luck, you know, and that's just something that is pretty amazing for a kid to have a role model like that and someone that he's been around and can follow. I just think that's a really powerful thing for my kids. So that's what I'm most thankful for about my kids growing up in this profession do I do they even realize how spoiled they are they have no clue <laughs> they have been they have been to probably four final fours um, a national championship football game and and you know other NCAA events that I never got to go to till I started working in the business and they don't even have really an appreciation for it yet but I think they will as time goes on you want to adopt us for one of those final <laughs> fours? Like, yeah. we'll go. We'll, we'll, play, we'll play kids. Yeah, no, it's good. And it's it's fun to travel with them sometimes. But um, they also have things, and I want them to experience being a kid, right? So um, I want them to go to the hockey tournaments and play different sports. And I think sports teach us so many valuable lessons that um, I'm not going to force my kids to do it. Um, but I think growing up in the culture they're growing up in, they're kind of kind of lean towards doing it. And I think that's a good thing. I think the more kids can communicate today and play sports together, the better it is because there's unfortunately less kids doing that more and more. So we'll see. We'll see what they turn out doing. The youngest does not play a lot of sports right now. He only plays a couple, and he's not as into it as his older brother. Um, you know, but he's also a pretty smart kid, so who knows what they're all going to end up doing. So a pretty successful fall in terms of uh, Miami sports, uh, men's cross country with a MAC championship. I think women finished third, I believe. Correct. Women's volleyball runner-up, and then field hockey is champions. You have three 
uh, Mac Coach of the Years. Can you speak a little bit? Just to yeah, success? no, it it really has been a good a good fall, and it's um, probably the best fall since I've been here. And um, we talk about every year all of our sports trying to finish in the top third of the MAC because I feel like if they do that every year, we're going to win our share of championships. And um, every team has finished in the top third except for women's soccer, which was a new first-year coach, and we knew we were going to have a difficult year there. But um, she's got us really pointing the right direction. Every other sport in the fall finished in the top third. Football basically finished second with their record in the MAC. Volleyball, we still get to call a championship as co-champions. And so we have four MAC championships in the fall, three coaches of the year. The reason we won this award last year, because this combines academic uh, community service and competitive results. And the one area we had not done well here at Miami was competitive results. The men, when I got the job here, were last in the all sports standings. They have gone from 12th to 11th, 9th, 7th to 3rd last year. The women were first when I got here and they were second last year. They've never been worse than fourth. So I feel like we finally got second and third in the all-sport standings. We always have the academics. We always have the community service, and that's why we won this award last year. What I challenge the student-athletes with is that no one's ever won this award year back-to-back. It's been awarded 18 times in the MAC. This is the first time Miami's ever won it, and I challenge the team that I, the students that I want to win it back-to-back, and we're off to a great start in doing that because the, the grades are going to be there. We've had 27 straight semesters above 3-0, um, that's not going to change. We have great kids, and we're blessed to work with them. Um, we always do over 5,000 hours of community service, and if we can just continue the competitive results piece, I think hopefully we'll win another one of those and, and do the back-to-back thing. Both basketballs were picked second. Um, we certainly want hockey to finish strong and finish in the top fourth of the league because that'll, that'll get you in the NCAA tournament. And uh, spring, we always traditionally are pretty strong in, like, tennis, and, and baseball's been good. Softball's been pretty strong. So, you know, synchro's going to finish up. Swimming's favored to win on the men's side. So I th- there's a lot of things laid out for us that could be pretty good. Uh, and it's nice to be off to a good start because that's momentum for the rest of the, the, the student-athletes and the rest of the department. Any superstitions, quirks? Um, I am pretty superstitious. So, um, and kind of going back to your your question earlier about I'll be in certain parts of the stadium based on how we're doing. So like if the coaches know and they see the video, like if I'm on this sideline and we start doing well, I won't move until something changes. So I am superstitious that way. Um, Not so much in what I wear or what I eat, but where I stand and that kind of stuff, I do feel kind of superstitious about that. That's That's so funny. And as a Cleveland sports fan, I always realize that the game is never over until the final part. So I, it drives me crazy when people are like, "Oh, this is done," or, you know, "This game's in the bag." And because I have seen some doozies, Um, (laughs) even when the Cavs won the NBA championship, I was convinced somebody was going to go back and say, "There's wait, there's four seconds left. They screwed up the clock. You know, one more chance." Um, Because you just never take things for granted, and that's what I try to tell the kids: you got to play to the play to the end and. Uh, I am superstitious about that kind of stuff. but um, So I never want to hear anybody say this is over or it's a final. Um, but other than that, nothing too outrageous. Anything else you want to say? No, I just, when people, when people ask about how I am every day, I, I always say I'm thankful and I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed to work with, with such great kids and, and I'm thankful to work at such a great university. I, I'm, I really believe in the mission of, athletics and how it fits into the educational fabric of things and 
you know, for me, every school has a different mission, right? Like UC's got their mission, uh, Cleveland State's got their mission, um, Wright State has a mission. I just feel like Miami's values and what it stands for and what it espouses really line up with what I believe. And and I've worked at Rice, which is a very academic school, and, and um, even at University of South Dakota. If you went to law school or business school in the state of South Dakota, that's where you went. That's how they have it kind of set up. So it's really probably the best academic school in South Dakota. So I, I like being at places like that. I like being different. We're different than anybody else in our league, and I think we can use that in recruiting. So that's why I truly feel every day about, about being thankful and blessed to be here. So I just love what I do, and I hope others feel that you know, we provide a good outlet for supporting our kids. Awesome. So one final question that we have to ask every guest, and unfortunately our third Kevin is not here. Okay. Because he's very invested in this yes. This is his, qu- his question. Yes. Okay. So we, we right. have to ask all our guests, do you think that eSports is a sport? I do. That's a win we're for We're supporters. Perkins. Yeah, yeah, we're supporters <laughs> of it. I really have a lot of respect for Glenn Platt and all the stuff he's done here on campus. And um, I think the NCAA is still trying to figure out, like, exactly how it fits in. Part of the problem is the prize money, you know, because if, if it's an NCA sport, you can't get that prize money. But these kids are, you know, have the potential to earn all this money. Um, the other part is kids are playing so young. It's Some of the kids are playing before they even go to college. So, like, I don't know how it's going to fit into the college world. Um, but I definitely, like, it's funny. I was in an AD meeting in Cleveland with all the ADs of the Mac schools, and one of the ADs who's older, so I won't say who it was or how <laughs> old they are, but they were like, this is just a fad. This is, and I said, it's not a fad, dude. I'm telling you, like, Rocket League and, and you know, Overwatch, and, these are, and they're all like, they don't even know what the games are. <laughs> and I have, you know, 8- and 11-year-olds that play, so I actually watch them play. And the gaming systems are all set up to fa- force them to play on headsets with their friends. So, like, this isn't a fad. This is what they're forcing kids. You know, you can't even play two-player anymore, some games. Right. You Most have, games are only, on, like, multiplayer online setup. They're yeah. they're forcing it. So they're feeding right into this e-league culture, e-sport culture, right? And so that's how kids are growing up. So anyone that says it's a fad is completely wrong. Um, the hand-eye coordination... You know, yeah, you're sitting somewhere, but, you know, some kids move around. I definitely think it, it has a sport component to it. Um, and, you know, I'm amazed at even watching my kids and the things that they can do now, you know. But the days of me growing up where you all go to so-and-so's house and you play Madden heads up and someone has the winner, like, that's over. Those days are done. Good. A win for us. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. <laughs> all Thanks right. again for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Thank you. <laughs> Again, thanks to David Saylor for joining us this week. We had a couple issues getting guests, but he made time during his busy schedule before the volleyball team hosted what he mentioned and what we talked about, the Invitational Tournament. So, awesome guy. I think a lot of people don't get to interact with him one-on-one as much as they'd like, so he's kind of this enigma, figurehead-type person. Um, So it was great to pick his brain. And awesome to hear that even if Miami doesn't go to a bowl game, they're going to try to play a 13th game. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, Really cool. You know, and like he said, his responsibility, he feels, is to the student athletes, and he's trying to give them the best experience possible. And, you know, he said that they met that threshold. They deserve that, according to the NCAA. So he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that they uh, receive that reward. But a lot of... All for it. Yeah, definitely all for it. This is going to be great. Um, 
he was a great interview. Unfortunately, Kevin couldn't have been with us. Bummer, but Kevin lost. Um, esports is a sport. I don't even know what the scoreboard says at this point. It's a lot to like two, but mm. um, <laughs> but on those same notes, a lot of interesting college football stuff going on. Last week, obviously, a huge week. Saturday's going to be massive, followed by a selection on Sunday. So, Buckeyes um, blew out the Wolverines. Holy cow. That Insane. third quarter was nuts. I never expected that. I saw a tweet, and I don't know what coach it is, but the old coach of the Saints, he gave a post-game interview one time, and he said, we went out in the second half. We didn't play offense. We didn't play defense. And we just got ran. Like A lot of expletives, a lot of everything. You can tell how fresh it is, and they're like, this is essentially what Harbaugh's postgame should have been, is that we didn't play in the second half because it was like a tied game at halftime. I remember yeah, – They were down – no, Ohio State was down, no? Mm-mm. Or they were up, like a touchdown. It, no. Six points. Going into – It was 7-6. At halftime, it was – Not at halftime, but – At halftime, it was 21-19. to 19 After okay. Michigan scored two touchdowns within six seconds of the game clock. Crazy. Yeah, I just remember and Ohio State scored while on like six or seven straight drives yeah, in the third was, quarter. It was dumb. <laughs> that was nuts. And the then the block defense. kick, like just everything went wrong for Michigan. They the they end. sat Shea Patterson. They sat their starting QB, who's been like the rock of that offense the whole year. And I mean, the shoe is a tough play showed. to place, to, a tough place to play to start with. And then you start routing a team a little bit, especially Michigan, the rivalry and everything, like. The wheels Team, just fall off, and the energy in that building was ridiculous. Both those teams could go into that game 1-11, and and it would feel like the number one team is playing the number two team in the country. Yeah, I did see that there was not controversy, but just like some people being like, why did you rush the field? Like, I don't know. What, what are your guys' thoughts on all the Ohio State fans rushing the field after they've won that four years? That was the number now? four team in the country. Ohio State's 10. They're trying to get into the playoff. You're telling me those fans? The fans... Ohio State missed the playoffs last year very questionably. Who who went in place of them? Wisconsin. Wisconsin got blown out. You're number ten, Ohio State. You're one loss. You're on the cusp of making the playoff. Right. You're gonna storm the you field. You have to make a statement. I mean, they made a statement. You're telling me if Woody my- Hayes rolling over in his grave. I don't know. I, just I, think if, it was I was interesting. That, if I was in that stadium, I would have stormed that field. That's <laughs> that's an awesome. They made a statement with that win. It would, for all intents and purposes, they put up a hundred on them. I just think it's interesting because I know my friend who goes there who is a senior and she rushed the field and it's like, okay, you've been there for four years. You've seen four wins. Like you've seen it at home already. Like, I don't know. I think it loses a little bit of the effect. Definitely like still cool, still fun. Something like we certainly don't get to do, but at the same time, I I'm kind of on Perkins side, but I wanted to hear what you guys had to say about that. It's the rivalry with the playoff implications added. Yeah. Fair enough. So I want to talk a bit about sort of this top four right now in the college football playoff. Currently, as it stands, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia. Alabama and Georgia have to play each other this weekend for the SEC championship game. game. What happens if Georgia wins? Does Alabama still get in? I think that at this point in time, we have three lockdown teams. I think that even if they lost... Alabama does not drop out because of the sheer dominance that they've shown throughout the year. There's no way that they aren't the champion. Is Georgia like? Is it feasible for them to beat Alabama though? Georgia's like, are the we... number four team. Like, yeah, no, 
yes, thank you. I do know that, but like, yeah, I mean, there have been seasons. Uh, it's in the Alabama. Past. Like, yeah, there have been seasons in the past where I just didn't think anybody could beat Alabama all year, no matter what. Right, but think about the Iron Bowl, yeah, the right, the right. Blo- the short field goal, whatever, whatever they call it, like the miracle in where. Wherever. In this case, I'm yeah. just asking in how much of a case, chance Uga, is there. Like, yeah, why are in we... this case, Uga has a shot for sure. Okay. Um, Uga? Yeah. UGA. I've never heard. Thank you, also, Kevin. I am not an idiot, but I have just never heard that name. before. Uga the Bulldog. Okay. That's his name. But Sorry. I think Notre Dame select down their spot pretty well. Yeah, and they don't play this weekend, so they're so in. Does, yeah, I mean, they're an independent, so they kind of have that advantage not to lose. Yeah, seriously. So, uh, And then Clemson. Clemson has to play this weekend against a team that shouldn't give them that much grief. It's I'm not assuming. Virginia Tech, is it? Uh, I don't think so. But Pittsburgh. Pitt. Pitt, Pitt is um Pitt's actually They're up there, aren't they? They dropped out of the rankings this week, but they've given a lot of good teams a lot of trouble this they year. They had some really good games, yeah. But then you have obviously crushing blow to UCF with the loss of Mackenzie Melton for the season, pretty horrific injury. Um so I really wish that hadn't happened because then the case really could have been made for them to be up higher. They dropped in the playoff rankings, even though they they blew out like 35-10, I think, over USF. So the case could have been made if had they not lost like the offensive player of the year in the AAC, first team all AAC quarterback like Mackenzie Milton. But I think that takes them out of this picture. That leaves you at 5-6 and six, Oklahoma. Who has to play against? It's not West Virginia again. That was a great game, fifty-eight, fifty-six, Oklahoma over West Virginia. But they have to play again. Texas. They have to play Texas. Texas is good this year. Hook them. Fourteenth right now. Matthew and, McConaughey, what a dude. Right. So you're looking at a way better win. Northwestern's been good this year. Northwestern won the East Division of the Big Ten. So, Ohio State gets that win. Oklahoma gets that win. Unfortunately, I think for Ohio State, while they just blew out the number one defense in the country, that's what Michigan was heading into that, they're not going to make it again simply because if whoever loses, if Georgia if Georgia loses, obviously Georgia's out, but I think if Oklahoma beats Texas, it's a way better win in the eyes of the playoff committee that Oklahoma is no doubt going to be that fourth team. So, this is interesting, uh, and... and Obviously, we just heard the interview, but Sailor was talking about if OU wins close and oh, OSU yeah. wins by a lot, that helps Miami's shot at getting into a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And I don't 100% understand how all those intricacies work. <laughs> it yeah. seemed irrelevant so to me nuts. what the top wish... five and six teams do compared to Miami. Apparently, it matters. I'm, I'm not going to say I would read it, but I would really like for the playoff committee, whoever is on that, because I know it's a mix of like former players, athletic directors, and like academics even. Condoleezza Rice. Yeah, like Condi Rice is on there. Um, I'd really like them to publish like a paper on what goes into their decision process, what a meeting of theirs looks like, because I want to know what goes into those teams picking because you have UC, who's two losses, and you have them not in the top 25 of either poll or of the college football playoff, and then you have four lost teams in that top 25. Definitely, like Sailor mentioned, like Perkins just brought up, like we've been talking about, just a lot of politics and skepticism and definitely some frustration if you're those teams that deserve to be 
in the top four and the case to be made. And we've talked about it before to expand the Eight playoffs. team yeah, playoff. Let's go. Give it to me. Oh, you can't also, like, if you're going to talk, if you're going to take all the politics out of it, like, that would make money, would it not? No, like, it absolutely TV would. deals, like, selling tickets. Like, I don't know what the argument is against I eight think teams. I, the argument is probably in scarcity. So, you have – if you do an 18 playoff, there's more games. So, you're spreading out fans a bunch more to those different games. But if you did four – you with the four teams, you have two games – Two games that are going to get watched by nearly every college football fan and a lot of people who don't, could care less about college football. They're all going to be watching those games because there's only two and then the championship. I think that's a lot of the argument. And I see Perkins like smirking at me. But, I'm skeptical. But I, I, I personally see that as economic reasons as to why there isn't an 18 playoff. But at the same time, like Emily's just saying, you have so much more. And then you have, you have five Power Five conferences. Each one of those gets represented like an auto bid, their winner, because those you assume the five winners of those teams are five of the best like teams in the country. Then you need you need a a group of five bid, and then you need some at large bids, and that's what you would get. So you'd have eight there. Then that that group of five goes to UCF, and then you have Georgia, and you have Ohio State, you have Oklahoma, who aren't in the top four but they're still the best teams in the country playing in that playoff. I just think just the, the quantity of games goes up, like your money and viewership will go up. But now, are you going to get as many people watching each of those four games? No, probably not. But overall, if you have four I games agree. instead of two, you're going to get more money. I think also players. That's, the, that's the big issue. In players, my more games, more opportunities to get hurt, more things that can happen. And so players might argue against it. You see Rashawn Gary from Rashawn Gary from Michigan. There's still going to be a New Year's Day bowl because they're what are they ten? Probably something. So they're there, we're yeah. probably still around the top ten. He uh, already probably eleven actually because LSU and Florida are nine and ten. But he's he's already declared for the draft, so he's not playing in their bowl game to like not get hurt. He doesn't not want to get hurt before the draft. Right, of course, and that's. And just the wear and tear on guys after already right. playing 13 games for most, you know, the Power 5 schools, and now you're going to go play. A playoff game is 14. Your championship game is 15. You add another playoff game, that's 16. You're looking at a full NFL schedule at that point. Right. That's and a good point. I hadn't thought but, about that. But <coughs> Division two and Division three football both have eight-plus team playoffs. We can contemplate about what the reasons are. But, like, even going back to the – not the NFL strike, but there was a holdout by most of them a couple years ago because the NFL was like, we want more games and more money. And the players like, no, I'm going to tear my ACL, and then I'm going to get cut by this team with a injury-like settlement, and I'm not going to make the money because you gave me more games and more chances to get hurt. Sure. All right. Again, I think we've beat that horse. So time to talk about something else. Always exciting. Kevin's favorite topic. I'll be over here playing games on my phone. <laughs> the NHL. Perkins mentioned it. Buffalo still rolling. Yeah, so, I mean, they've been looking really good. They're getting production from everywhere. Um, they just have so many tools. Rasmus Dahlin, obviously Jack Eichel, Jeff Reinhardt, Skinner. Jeff Skinner, uh, maybe the trade of the year. Uh, oh, hurts my Carolina Stole from heart. Carolina, yeah. Uh, 
just really big win there for Buffalo. Obviously now 10 straight. We mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the pod, but uh, pretty incredible effort from them and just success right now. Granted, seven of those games, I think, or have either been overtime or shootout, shootout wins. Yeah, which but, is impressive. Hey, you got you to gotta grind late as well. Like There's something to be said for always coming out with those wins. Um, but yeah, big trade win for them in Buffalo. Another big trade win that's been panning out pretty well is in Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh traded with L.A. They sent Haglin to L.A. He immediately got hurt. It's really tough for them. But Tanner Pearson, who, if I recall, was had one point with L.A. and was a minus nine, heads to Pittsburgh. He's got four points in his first six games, and he's like a plus seven. Granted, I will admit, you know, there's part of this that he's playing with Malkin and Kessel. Fair. So naturally your production is going to be high when you're Fair. playing with two guys like that. But still, um, the L.A. Kings subreddit was not happy. They were all questioning, <laughs> you know, did we ditch an elite talent here? Um, other teams at the top of the league right now, Nashville, Tampa, and Toronto. So, uh, But go ahead. Buffalo plays Tampa tonight. So that'll yeah. definitely be a good game and to see if Buffalo can keep winning because then they will set their franchise record for most consecutive wins. Another team that's been a little bit surprising, and I've been waiting for them to blow up for a few years now, and they're finally popping off, and that's uh, Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. Doing really well, battled back after giving up a natural hat trick to Sidney Crosby last night. So they were up 3-0 with a minute and a half left in the second period. They go to the break up 3-2. to two. Crosby scores two goals in like a minute 25 or something like of that. Of course. Immediately comes back at like 14 minutes left in the third, scores another one. But uh, Colorado ran away with it late, and they're actually only one or two points, I think, behind Nashville now. That's so exciting. Right the, Another franchise the that deserves some victories. They have the number one offensive line in the league. Absolutely ridiculous. I think they have 110 points combined in 41 games now. They Something have the crazy. top scorer and the second top scorer. Uh, Rantanen has 31 or 32 assists after last night. And maybe the most crazy stat, going into last night's game, Nathan McKinnon had 17 goals. Rantanen had an assist on every single goal. I saw that. Every single time Nathan McKinnon scores, Rantanen touched the puck early. That is shift. nuts. And the things that McKinnon can do on the ice, he is so fast and so big. He just controls play in the offensive zone. It's so much fun to watch. Hockey in general is great right now. Yeah, really, really fun storylines definitely to follow this season. Other storylines that are big coaching changes there were no in-season changes last year and I read an ESPN article on why and it was just because there were a lot of first-year head coaches and even if first-year head coaches don't have the success that they do like GMs don't like to fire them for obvious reasons just sign contracts and stuff like that but there have been four in-season coach coaching switches the Oilers the Kings the Blackhawks and the Blues so I had the question there is like what is the most surprising change um i don't know honestly i think okay I'll, i'm gonna i'll tell you what the most interesting one to me is the flyers fired ron hextall as the gm this week and that to me was way more surprising uh, i saw some comical tweets they were talking about how in chicago everyone wanted them to fire the gm and they fired the coach and then in philly, philly. everyone wanted them to fire the coach and they fired the gm instead so kind of funny uh yeah the quinville firing probably of those four is most he was just loved by that franchise. Yeah, and those people, he still is. He still will be. Um, inside source tells me that the Blues have been calling about Quenville, but currently he's uh, doing okay, just hanging out and taking shotskis. I was just yeah. about to mention that the um, 
the Bears game, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody just recognized him in Chicago, and there he was. So cool. Other cool to note is Mitch Korn, who's a Miami alum, and Barry Trotz played the Washington Capitals. They're with the Islanders now, and they finally got their Stanley Cup rings, and there was a video of them you know, saying thanks to the guys because the Washington Capitals returned basically all of their Stanley Cup team. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool to see that happen. Um, really cool claim to fame for Miami. Yeah, for those of you guys who missed it, the Cup was in town over the summer, or actually right at the beginning of the school year yeah. um, with Mitch Korn, who has spent a lot of time here at Miami and still has a lot of really close ties to the rink. Um, other Miami uh, guys in the NHL, Kiefer Sherwood still with five points, doing okay on that Anaheim roster. Um, Chris Weidman has five points. He was a minus 11, but he got a pretty good break, in my opinion. <laughs> he got traded from Ottawa, which has been a disaster this year and last year, and just all these organizational problems they've been having. And he headed to Edmonton, and they're only seven points back from first place in the Pacific. So I think he'll get a pretty good shot to play with some decent talent in a program that's really been working recently. Um, so that'll be good for him. Martinez has seven points. He's a minus two. He's recovered a little bit. He had the worst plus minus of all Miami alum a few weeks back, which is kind of funny. Um, we talked a bit about that Pearson Hagelin trade. I think Kolvachuk is getting ready to get traded. Honestly, interesting. wouldn't be shocked to see Martinez be one of the pieces that goes. Um, I think they can get a pretty good price for him in L.A. He's a really solid player. He can really contribute to a cup team later in the season, help a team defensively make a run. Um, I have no idea what the dynamic is like in that locker room, though. I mean, I know that he doesn't wear a captain letter or anything, so he's not necessarily touted as a leader. He still could be, of course, but uh, wouldn't be shocked to see him be Getting one of the big older. names that, that gets a trade, uh, help shake things up in L.A. And then Riley Smith in uh, Vegas Las Vegas still has 15 points and four goals. So good on all our guys in the league. Kevin, welcome back. Time to shine. We what got do you want to tell MLB us about news. baseball? So actually, a couple storylines. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so baseball, MLB, who was once, and as most sports were, very anti-gambling, just signed their deal with the MGM Resorts to openly promote gambling on MLB platforms like MLB Network, during games, stuff like that. And a lot of the decision, the process, the thinking behind it from Rob Manfred, the commissioner of the MLB, is getting a uh, fan attendance. Fan attendance dropped 4% last season. And if you want to think about baseball and the way gambling works, a lot of it is baseball is seen like besides the NBA, NFL, NHL, all those other sports, the best to bet on because of the deliberate pace. You have pauses in between each pitches so you can, I'll bet that a home run's happening. So all of these different things. So they really want to get attendance back up and, Baseball well, is kind of like a gambler's paradise for the just deliberate pace of it. Well, I have a question. If you can gamble on different platforms, what would draw me to go to a baseball game and gamble from there as opposed to just sitting at home and watching TV and gambling on my computer? Well, just sort of that added in like element of like commitment and like investment, right? Like a literal financial investment now. So when you watch that game like you're very into it and if you're you know a, a habitual better or someone that does it you know semi-regularly yeah every now and then you can go to the game and bet on the game that you're in attendance it's for and it makes same. it that much more exciting either highs or lows to get you fired up and yeah and it's the same thought yeah you can sit on your laptop and play blackjack and poker online and gamble real money away all day 
but you're going to want to go to that casino every once in a while to play at the table, mm-hmm. drink, dress up, stuff That's like fair. that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And if they can get a higher level of engagement even on the couch over time, eventually guys True, watching yeah. games and betting on games, eventually you're just going to get go. that bug and you're going to go, yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it's a good move. I think right after uh, the end of the season, they're going to induct Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame since gambling doesn't matter anymore. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big argument I'd like to make now is, all right, we're going to endorse gambling? Fine. Yep. Put Pete Rose in the Hall. Yep. But another big storyline, the a group in Portland has purchased land to build a stadium as part of the MLB to Portland movement. So there's a lot, been a lot of talk. Oregon doesn't have a team. Portland's one of the big cities in the nation. It's the capital. So you look at some of these smaller market teams. They were talking about the A's and the Rays as teams that could go there. Uh, unfortunately, the A's just – Oakland just gave the A's a new stadium deal, so they're kind of out of the running. And the MLB is going to push to keep I, – I think I read the MLB is going to push to keep Tampa there. But obviously, a lot of owners obviously want new stadiums all the time take advantage of the markets. That's the way I view it because I'm from Cincinnati and we have to pay for VR play-by-play for our players as part of a tax. And that's just absolutely ludicrous to me. But those are the thoughts. Those two teams, should anything happen to those plans? Should they collapse? Then one of those teams could eventually be seen in Portland playing as the Portland A's, Portland Rays. And it wouldn't be, if I'm being honest, those are two of the smallest market teams. They, they would benefit from that move. That is a big city. You have a lot of lot of economy in in Oregon with Eugene and Nike, so there's a lot of money over there, and the Tampa the Rays and the the famous Billy Bean quote: "There's rich teams, there's poor teams, then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us." And that's how it is. Oakland has to win by the the savvy plays, and you go to a team with probably the same owners, but more money to use from fans and everything then you're going to see benefit and uptick in play. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed looking back now even more so that the Marlins scammed the city into that stadium. That is just the ugliest stadium they built oh, it with. Oh, whoa, time out. I think it's cool looking. I, oh, it's just a shame that they can't put more than 150 people in it. That's the real issue is that they literally have had the upper bowl closed for like two full seasons now. They don't even sell tickets up there because they can't put people in the stands. I they think... won't show the games on TV because it's an embarrassment to view all those seats. And when they do, they're literally asking people to combine into single sections so that they can at least do close-up shots of the crowd for TV. I um I think Derek Jeter's down there, and I think Derek Jeter's going to make a lot of moves. He uh the The Marlins are just absolutely out there i've never understood them as a baseball team because they will buy and buy and buy one offseason and then you have teams with jose reyes hanley ramirez you have stanton in there and you have just unreal teams and then they're like oh that didn't work like not gonna even get them time to build chemistry as a team all right goodbye hanley you're a dodger goodbye jose you're a rock who i don't remember who he went to it was he crazy was, he was and that Toronto. was like, <laughs> it was like right after they paid for that whole new mm-hmm. they had the, they had an unreal team they got the city and everyone on board to buy the stadium and then they just gave everyone away and went to crap yeah and i mean i think they did a lot they have probably they have they have to have i haven't looked at their prospect rankings in a while i tend to do that during class i haven't in a while but when you sell off when you sell off Giancarlo Stanton, when you sell off christian yelich 
when you sell off Marcelo Zuna, you're going to get prospects because those are all-star players. And each of them went and performed. Obviously, Yelich winning his MVP. Yeah, some of those guys are Hall of Famers in the future. Yes. I, I stand, stand... At least and, arguments for them. Yeah, at least no, get I will a ballot. Make, yeah, I, I can make an argument for all those guys. And Stanton carried the Yankees for a lot of the year because they were without Sanchez. They were without uh, Judge for a lot of the year. So they got... I hope they got their money's worth. Um, and then I guess just other, my argument is just the flying around fish stuff. That's all. (laughs) So the culture in Miami is absolutely impossible to understand. Like the melting pot of like diversity there is really, really unique. And like, I don't know, like I've spent a decent amount of time in Miami to play some hockey down there when I lived in Florida. And like, it's just really weird. I heard uh, a teacher gave me an explanation one time that if you want to look at it, 71 goes up through Minnesota and down to Tampa. 75 goes up through the east down to Miami. So all the all the people from the east coast who are just like who are jerks and lack of a better term, they're assholes. Like all those people from New York and Boston and stuff, they go down to Miami. All those nice Midwestern folks from Minnesota, all Wisconsin, they all end up in Tampa Bay. That's funny. But that's funny. Just uh, they could the- use a new stadium. Yeah, that Tropicana Dome is getting well. That's the down. they have. That's what they're pushing. They're pushing that right now because instead of a move, get a new instead place. of a move. Yeah, uh, I just a few other things. Donaldson, one of the big free agents, he <gasps> signed with Atlanta. So yep. he yep. No! rest in peace, Blue Jays. Sorry, Blue Emily. Jays have not been good since Jose Bautista did that bat flip, if we're being honest oh, with legendary. everybody. The greatest baseball game of all time, probably. Probably. Nah, game five. Game five of that series? Game seven or, of the World Series in 2016 with the rain delay and everything. Oh, the yeah. lead changes, the Rajay Davis, like Grand Slam, all that. That bat flip, though. Argument for another day, I still th- yeah. think. From a baseball purist standpoint, I think the Blue Jays game is sweet. Just seeing all the – I mean, you saw every intri- intricacy of the game, the squeeze yeah. bunt, the circle play on, that w- the wheel that worked but no, didn't. Like, abs- I mean, Encarnacion. Both games were unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, back-to-back. Like. But So he signed with the Rays, and the trade market's heating up a lot. Uh, w- there's a lot of talk about – I know, I'm, I'm going. Uh, a lot of talk about Robbie Cano and – Edwin Diaz ending up as Mets in exchange for Syndergaard. Syndergaard's on the block big time. Heard that, yep. DeGrom also on the block, not as much because of the season he had. But it's just, it's heating up and it's getting good. Reds are showing continued interest in some of these relievers that I need them, in some of these pitchers that I need them to. But baseball is kind of exciting right now. Despite it being off season, how about that? Yeah, I maybe yeah. even more exciting than in season. I was just Ooh, I was yikes. gonna say that, but <laughs> I didn't want Kevin coming for me, so um, I'm glad Perkins I mean, said it. We haven't. I'm just. Oh saying. wait, dude, we forgot. I have to interrupt. The most important thing that happened in the last couple of weeks. We haven't been here because of Thanksgiving. Our good friend Kevin is gonna be getting a lip tattoo. Oh yes. Oh, we also didn't talk about the Xavier basketball game, so I feel like yeah. we should talk about that. But would, lip tattoo I, first. I Stuff for the Xavier Tat. I had stuff for the Xavier game. I, I just said Xavier Tat. I'm just, yikes. So the bet was between UC and UCF that game, the loser had to get the winner's team tattooed on their lip, just the initials. Um, so we will be heading to a tattoo parlor sometime soon. Kevin will not get out of that one. We spared him Thanksgiving break. I decided I would be nice. I didn't want his turkey to taste like ink. 
but Thanksgiving's over. I'm not one time. that wishes injuries on any athlete. But I wish that if the Mackenzie Milton injury was going to happen, it could have just happened a week earlier. <laughs> Still wouldn't have won. Oh, <laughs> debatable. <laughs> debatable. So, yeah, that's great news for Perkins. I feel like we have to talk about the Xavier game. Boo. Because Kevin and I were there. I was there just not in spirit after. The first half. Yeah. Um, Miami kept it close, opened up. A 7-2 lead, not a lot, but like started, looks like they could compete. Xavier looks just a little... Xavier? I feel like they must have underestimated us, and then we kind of knocked it in some sense into them. This this is what I'm going to say about it. Like I've said this before. I think that the only sport I even come close to paying attention to as much as baseball is college basketball, and Xavier's not good this year. Like I understand that we lost by a lot, but we didn't hit a shot. Yeah. Like, it was bad. All I, of our scoring guys just were like... I, what do we have, like, one per one person in double digits? Yeah, Bam Bowman was in double digits. Um, like, a big man, he th- was... That's that's awful. And they were getting these open looks. It was just Brick City out there. Yeah, they were talking about how the Xavier team this year to beat them is you can pull up and shoot from behind the arc. And we traditionally have very strong three-point shooters in... Delonte Brown, Nike Sabandi, Mac Freshman of the Year last year, and they were just stone cold. It was it was it was not great to watch. Like I it was awful to oh, watch I, if I'm being serious. Actually I was sitting um with my laptop out doing press stuff and I like started working on other things. It was just it was discouraging it was and just not fun to watch. And that's what you hope for when like, a team like Miami goes and plays Xavier. Of those 27 points that we lost by, I'll give – the way we played, it wasn't bad like in the arc and a lot of the case can be made. Xavier is year after year like a top basketball school. They pull from those top 10 recruits, those top 20. They pull from those ESPN like four or five-star guys. I would give five to six points to the fact that they're just bigger and better athletes. Yeah. Our big men weren't bad underneath the rim. They yeah. got bullied a little bit. But our just our outside shooting, our guard play, yeah, our, our backcourt wasn't there. It it really wasn't, and it was it was depressing to watch. If we if we had heat up a little bit, and we pulled it with back within ten at uh, one point, I think. Yep. But just, I I think I left at the eight minute mark in the second half. I was just like, I can't watch this anymore. If we're gonna hit the if we're gonna hit the rim every shot we take, then it's just like we're not gonna win. So Xavier should the way we played Xavier even at the low quality team I think they are that I think I, they might make the tournament but they're three and three and a very competitive Big East they're the bottom of the Big East standings they're gonna have to make a lot of statement wins to make the tournament this year but they should have beat us by a hundred. Thanks for joining us for week nine. Thanks David Saylor again for coming on. Next week we'll talk about Miami sports. It'll be our last episode together physically before yeah you we guys all are go both home. here at j-term i'll be skyping yeah kevin will have to skype in maybe we'll come visit you in cincy we yeah cincy. we can bring the portable stuff yeah i'm down that? we're not going anywhere but please come back for week 10 i'm emily i'm one of the guys and i'm the other guy